0: Tell me who's better defensive lineman than Alan Page and Carl Ello that's ever played. And then there's Jim Marshall, who was as great a player as I've ever played with, and he's still not in it.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome in. It's another edition of Skoll Stories. I'm your host, Mike Wapshaw, coming to you from TCO Studios at Winter Park, yes, Skull Stories is returning after a couple of weeks, and we're doing so in style. We have a great guest for you tonight. It's a conversation with a legend, Fran Tarkenton, a Pro Football Hall of Famer, a Vikings legend, a man who at the time of his retirement led lifetime NFL passers in every category that matters for quarterbacks. Attempts, completions, passing yards, touchdown passes, Fran Tarkenton was the NFL leader in all of those categories for a career at the time of his retirement, a player who transcended the position, a player who changed the way the position was played. He had 32 rushing touchdowns, something unique to his game and something that helped lead to his nickname, Scramblin' Fran. Fran Tarkenton was also an NFL MVP. He did that during the 1975 season. So really excited to bring you that conversation with Fran. It's coming up in a minute. But first, let's talk about the current Vikings. How about your Vikings? They're 5 and 0 coming off their bye week. They have a big time NFC showdown with the Philadelphia Eagles coming up on Sunday. Of course, you can catch that game right here and all across the Vikings radio network. The Philadelphia Eagles started 3-0, and they have a great rookie quarterback, Carson Wentz, but they've lost two straight, so they're going to look to get back on the winning track. Nice matchup between Carson Wentz and this Vikings defense, which is led by Mike Zimmer. Their medal will be tested here coming out of the bye. Two straight road games at Philadelphia and then at Soldier Field for a game against the Bears, and three road games in their next Next four contests. So it'll be fun to see the Vikings take on those challenges. But now let's get to the conversation with tonight's guest. It's Fran Tarkenton. We talked to him and it's a two-part conversation you're also going to hear from Fran Tarkenton next week. But this week we talked about some of his favorite teammates and some of his memories from his playing days with the Vikings. Your former teammate, Tinglehoff. Someone a lot of people have been pounding the table for to get into the Hall of Fame. Now he's in. I know you particularly were happy about that. Can you tell us why?
0: Well, I'm happy because he deserves to be in there um, as much as anybody uh, that's ever been in the Hall of Fame, including Vikings or or, or not Vikings. Uh, he's a victim of uh, us losing four Super Bowls. We've finally got some people in, but Mick had kept him out for 37 years. And he was... I think the best center of his generation uh, and one of the greatest centers ever to live, but you can only measure somebody by their generation. Uh, He never missed a game. He played 17 years, never missed a practice. Uh, He called all the blocking assignments. He had to go block middle linebackers like Ray Dinsky and Dick Butkus and so forth. Uh, Then he had to go and do cutoff blocks on Mean Joe Green and Bob Lilly. So he's playing against the greatest players in the history of the National Football League, and he played at a high level. I'm not, I don't know. He's in nine or ten or eleven Pro Bowls. I know Lombardi tried to trade for him, and when Ring, Jim Ringo, the great center for the Packers, was going to retire, he he tried to trade for Tinglehoff. Uh, thankfully, we didn't make that error. Uh, but it's great that he's in. It's not justice. Carl Eller had to wait a few years. Paul Krause had to wait a few years. Bud had to wait a few years. And these are iconic figures of coaching and players. Tell me who's better defensive lineman than Alan Page and Carl Ello that's ever played. And then there's Jim Marshall, who was as great a player as I've ever played with, and he's still not in it.
1: And you, of course, presented Mick in Canton. Tell us about that. Why do you think Mick asked you, and how did you feel when he did ask you?
0: Because I know every secret he has. There are no secrets with Mick and I. Mick and I, I came up in 61, he came up in 62 as a free agent and we were great friends from that time on. Uh, he was my roommate, my confidant. I had no secrets from him, he had no secrets from me and we've stayed that way all of our lives. Uh, it was just a great, great friendship and uh, we just had so much fun you know, together. And lived so much of life together for 18 years or 17 years playing with one another. It was, uh, I've been so concerned about him getting in. And I lobbied as other people have lobbied for him and talked to people. It's pretty easy to talk about how great he was and is and what a great teammate he was. So it's a big thing for us too. So you
1: were back to Canton for mix enshrinement. Do you think you'll go back soon? And what's your thinking
0: on that? I, I don't live in the past. I, you know, I, I live now. I, I, I cannot wait to get up every morning. I'm doing productive stuff. I work. I love to work. I love to help entrepreneurs, and, and it's my passion. Uh, I love playing football, but I don't think I could play it at 75. Uh, they made me stop at 38, and I'm glad they did. Uh, but uh, I don't, I don't believe in retirement. I don't believe the, the mission of life is to, you know go play football, go be in business and go in retirement and go down to the villages in, in Orlando and play croquet for the rest of my life. That's a waste. If God gives us some health when we're in our senior years, then we ought to use our skills and our experience to help somebody else do something good. And that's what I do every day. And I really, I go back, and I don't go back to Minnesota very much. Uh, I love Minnesota. Uh, I, you know, my oldest daughter was born in Minnesota. I spent those formative years up there in my 20s and 30s playing on those great teams. And then in the early years, not so great teams. And I love New York. But I don't go back and, and and visit the football experiences in New York or or even go back to Minnesota because it. my life is moving forward. You know, I'm looking at what's going to be today and tomorrow and the next day. And, and that's what kind of, you know, uh, floats my boat, if you will. It uh, it drives me every day. Now, I watch every game. Direct TV allows me to, the, so I watch games by myself. I watch them all. I watch the college games on Saturday. I watch Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night football, Thursday night football. I watch the Vikings every time they're playing. And, because I can with Direct TV, what a great luxury. And I don't like other people around me when I'm watching television. I watch by myself in my, Two German Shepherds are there with me because I like to watch all the nuances of the game. I like to see the strategy of what they're doing, and that still interests me. You know, uh, what kind of offense are they using? How they how they using the field? How they are putting their players, and and how they defend them. You know, so I'm I'm thinking strategy all the time. What would I do if they did this? And so it's uh, it's a game within a game for me.
1: The game has certainly changed since you were a player for the Vikings and the Giants. How would you describe the change, though?
0: It, it's become a passing game. You know, it's become a passing game. You cannot hit the quarterback. Uh, uh, you cannot jam the receiver on the line of scrimmage. You know, I mean, it used to be you could hit the receiver all over the field. In 1979, they changed the rules to uh, uh, not let you do that. After five years, five yards, you cannot touch them anymore. They did that because they wanted more offense and more scoring, and I understand that, and the game's exciting. I mean, who, who can complain about that? I'd have loved to have been playing quarterback today because you can do so many things. Uh, back in our day, if you threw for 300 yards, you were a pretty good quarterback. You had a pretty good day. Today, everybody throws for 300 yards. Uh, and so I'd, I, liked this, I liked it in our era a little better because it was, it was uh, you know, the running game was important. And uh, if you didn't stop the run, uh, you were going to get beat. And it was, that was important. And, and today, not so much. You can win with a passing game without much running game. That's changing a little bit. I think what Marshawn Lynch has done in Seattle and, and what they've done there, it, it brought the running game back a little bit. And uh, you're getting some big, strong kids coming into the league. Todd Gurley from Georgia is a beast. He is Marshawn Lynch on steroids. Uh, he, can, he can really play. If he can stay healthy... He'll do things that will astound people. So the running game I have hopes will come back. I think it should be an integral part of the game.
1: Okay, you talk about throwback. Do you think Adrian has some of that to him?
0: He does, and he's been great. Uh, you know, he's the he's the only guy that's played that I could compare to Jimmy Brown. Uh, Jimmy Brown, everybody says, is the greatest uh, uh, running back ever. I, that, I, that's a true statement. Adrian Peterson is the closest thing to Jimmy Brown that I've ever seen. And, uh, and 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 his record shows it.
1: All right, we have more with Fran Tarkenton coming up after the break. Before we go to break, though, want to remind you to join host Mike Musman at Chumley's in Waconia next Thursday, October 20th at 5.30 p.m. for a live broadcast of Vikings Country. You could win some great prizes at Chumley's, including tickets in the Miller Lite Lounge at U.S. Bank Stadium. Visit vikings.com slash vikingscountry for more info and a full schedule. And stay tuned to us for more Skull Stories after this. Good evening, everyone. We are back here at Skull Stories. More with Fran Tarkenton coming up in a minute, but first... 2016 exclusive inaugural season gear has just arrived at the Vikings Locker Room Store now open at U.S. Bank Stadium for novelty items and apparel visit the official Vikings Locker Room Store at Mall of America, U.S. Bank Stadium and of course online at VikingsLockerRoom.com let's get back to our conversation with the legendary Fran Tarkenton All right, let's stick to the old teammate theme. I got something that I can get you to go back to the Hall of Fame. How about Jim Marshall? Would that do it?
0: Yeah, Jim Marshall. Uh, Jim Marshall uh, came up with the Cleveland Browns out of Ohio State, and he played a year or two there, and then he had gotten some disease that made his weight go from 240 down to 215 or something. And the Cleveland Browns, Paul Brown was the coach then and one of the great coaches in the history of the National Football League. They had excess of players and we didn't have many players. So Jim Marshall, along with about four or five other Cleveland Browns, I think we gave them a seventh round draft choice to get Jim Marshall and four of the players who made our team. So he came to us on opening day against the Chicago Bears. I think Jim Marshall weighed 215 because he had not gained his weight back. And he started that first game and he started every other game for the next 19 years. He never missed a practice. He never missed a game, and he was an extraordinary player, extraordinary teammate. The purple people eaters, you know, we first had Jim was all alone, then Carl Eller came, and so we had two two defensive ends who could go get the passer, and then in 67, we bring Alan Page in. And I thought, I played against them as well as with them. I thought of all the great fronts, Pittsburgh front lines, L.A., Dallas' doomsday defense, uh, uh, the toughest ones I played against were Marshall, Page, and Eller. You couldn't block them, mano-mano. And Jim Marshall was the leader of that group. And for him not to be in the Hall of Fame is an absolute disgrace. Uh, He deserves it, as Mick does.
1: All right, head coach Bud Grant, what do you remember about him?
0: Well, you cannot be a successful quarterback in football. Unless you are on a team that has great front office, that drafts great players, trades for great players, and you've got to have a great coach. I didn't get a chance to win until I came back to Minnesota in my 12th year. Now we got players. I've got a head coach, Bud Grant. I never had a head coach before. We had Jerry Burns. My often, We had a real organization. And I wasn't as good when I came back as I was In my first 11 years, because you're not as good after 30 as you are before 30. But we won. We won six division championships, went to three Super Bowls in those seven years. Should have gone to five. And because I was in a situation where you could do that. Tom Brady, as great as Tom Brady is, he's had Belichick. That's a a difference maker.
1: And you thought Bud was a big part of that.
0: Oh, my gosh. He was it. If you don't have a great head coach, and there are not many great head coaches, you struggle. He was a great head coach. He had it figured out. He knew how to put things together. Now we had players, and we brought in players. Jim Finks became the general manager. He was a great general manager, and he and Bud together put this group together. And unfortunately, they, I was the sacrificial lamb and went to New York for five years, and they got five great players in return to help them get to where they got.
1: All you guys played in all those games and had impressive consecutive starts, streaks. Do you suppose Freddy Zamberletti had anything to do with that?
0: <laughs> Freddy Zamberletti was a trainer, probably 27 years old, 1961, and he was a great badminton player. We had badminton games on Sunday afternoons. Freddy is, uh, is, is he is the culture of the Vikings. All the players that have ever played there historically, all the coaches have ever coached there, all the different ownerships and he survived them all and he excelled all through all those different eras. Uh, he's a treasure. And I'd say that, uh, uh, he was part of our team. He was part of the fabric of the players. Uh, and that's why it's so important that the people come to see the players and the coaches coach. It's about the players and the coaches. And so many times now we see egomaniac owners, Not our owners of Minnesota, thank God, but in other places. They want to be the show. They are so thrilled that they think they're rock stars. They are just kind of caretakers of the franchise for a period of years. Because the people come to see the players. They come to see the coaches coach. That's what it's all about. And that's what the most successful organizations, you don't know who the owners really are. You know Robert Kraft's at New England, but Belichick is the face of the franchise. And Tom Brady and all the great players are the face of the franchises. In Minnesota, the faces of our franchises are the players we've talked about. Mick Tinglehoff and Jim Marshall and Alan Page and Carl Eller and people that came after us, Adrian Peterson, and there have been many, many more great players. And the face of the franchise historically, as a coach, is Harry Peter Grant because he set the standard, he developed the culture, and he's still here. And Jerry Burns is a very important part of that. He was our great offensive coordinator, but he also uh, became a head coach. Now the greatness of Bud, Jerry Burns ran our offense. And Jerry Burns and I together, he enabled me because that's what I wanted to be, to help build that offense. And so that made us a better combination together. He allowed me and Bud allowed me to be part of the design of what we did. And that's what makes up great organizations, great teams, when you enable people who have skills to go do it. And, and sometimes that gets lost in ownership. Pittsburgh, look at the, that, that family. The Mara family in New York, the old families like in Green Bay, they don't even, the town owns the team. When you have that kind of ownership that brings football people in and lets them do their job, then you have a better chance to win.
1: A playoff game. In general, the switch from the regular season to the postseason. What is that like? What should that be like for a player?
0: Well, keep in mind, I played my first 11 years and had no chance to be in a playoff. I, I didn't experience that until I came back to Minnesota. And my first playoff was my second year there, which is I was 32 years old or so. Um, it's indescribable. It's indescribable. Um, and, you know, we won championship games. We won playoff games. We were three and zero in championship games, and uh, and what was great that we won those games. And I remember each one of those games, uh, the the two of the three that we played at home. Uh, spur of the moment, Sid Hartman and I would call up one of the country clubs, and say we you know we we want to bring the guys and their wives, and have a cel- celebratory dinner. We couldn't plan it before, right? Cause I'm not going to dinner if we lose, but we'd won. And we're going to the Super Bowl. And we would go to, well, I think one year we went to the Dinah Country Club. The other two years we went to the Wyzetta Country Club. Or well, maybe Edina won, cause it was just two that we won at home. And Sid and I, I think we split the bill. I think Sid paid for half of it, but I'm not sure now that I think back about it. But we did that. And, and that's unusual, too, because Sid Hartman was a part of our team. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we played more jokes on Sid Hartman than you could imagine. He'd always get on the bus, when we were on the road, and I remember specifically we were playing in Green Bay, and we had a bus that would take us from the hotel, the old North Hotel, to the stadium, which took five minutes, ten minutes. And there were always two buses, and the rookies... And all the coaches and the staff had to be on one bus, and the veterans, and said we're on the bus, and Sid would have to sit in the back of the bus. And back in the backs, they had, in the old buses, they had a bathroom back there that was about like, you know, barely get in it. And Sid would go to the bathroom, we'd lock him in there, and we'd let him out. He'd be banging on the door. We're always doing stuff to Sidney. But he was part of the fabric of the team. Unlike any sports writer that I've ever known, and you know the great treasure we got? We, Sid, Sid, Sid's still here. Bud Grant's still here. Jerry Burns is still here. To be able to... Bud and I talked to just a few weeks ago. And Bud's not a phone guy. He did not have a cell phone. So so to have that joy to be able to talk to him over the phone. And I don't go back to Minnesota, but I think I'm going to change that. Because what a treasure it is to have all these great teammates I've played with still up there. Jim Marshall, Mick, Paul Krause, Alan Page, Carl Eller. It goes on and on. and Boom, boom. But I can I sit down and have a cup of coffee or a lunch or a beer with Bud and Bernsey. And Sid! Why would I not go back? So I am hoping that I will see myself coming back to Minnesota at least once a year, during the season, mainly to hook up with those guys. And uh, so I'm I'm planning that anyway. Yeah.
1: And Fran Tarkenton, a man of his word, he did come back to a Vikings game this season and led the U.S. Bank Stadium crowd in the Vikings chant. A really cool moment for Fran Tarkenton and everyone who was able to take that in. Speaking of Fran coming back, he's going to be back on Skull Stories next week. Our conversation was so long and so good. It's a two-part Skull Stories conversation. Tonight was part one. We'll have part two next week for you, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Another edition of Skull Stories with Fran Tarkenton coming at you next week. And don't forget, the Vikings have a big game this weekend against the Philadelphia Eagles. The Vikings will try and move to 6-0 and maintain their top spot, not just in the NFC North but in the entire NFC. In fact, the Vikings are the lone remaining undefeated team in the NFL. Your purple squad is off to a really good start. On behalf of producer Nate Vaughn, I'm your host, Mike Wabshaw. That's it for this edition of Skull Stories. We'll talk to you next week.